Missions history provides so many excellent lessons for us from those who are on the cutting edge of sharing a relationship to the Creator God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. During the Mau Mau Rebellion, the Mau Mau tribesmen were beginning to, to fight against the Kenyan authorities, and many people were killed. Many missionaries were killed. One of the couples that had decided to stay were the Higgins, and the Higgins knew that they had uh, some training that they wanted to accomplish. They were wanting to reach some individuals who were specifically uh, ready, and so they, they stayed, knowing their lives would be in danger, and they went to this training. On the way back from the training, about 17 miles outside of Nairobi, then the Land Rover broke down. Uh, they tried to fool with it some to see if perhaps they could fix it and realized they couldn't. They uh, spent a few moments saying, Lord, let us rest in peace and guide us in safety. And through the night, they thought they saw movement in the, in the briar batches. Those of you who traveled in Kenya in the area there, you know, these massive, large bushes that are really uh, big briars, brambles. They thought they saw some movement out there, but they survived the night. As they came back in, the next morning they got some help and got into Nairobi and began to prepare to, to leave the country. Now the training was finished. And one of the national pastors came by and said to them that he had visited where the Mau Mau, some of the Mau Mau had been captured and they'd been taken to an internment center. And he was visiting with some of them there and sharing the Lord. And one of the leaders there said to him, oh, well, we know the Higgins. And there were 16 of us that were ready to go and kill them. We saw them on the side of the road. But as we started to come up to attack, there were 16 people standing around the car. And so we quit. We turned around. We left. And the missionary said, okay, well, yeah, that, well, thank you. They went home. They got to their church. Clay Brent, their intercessor, said, what's been happening with you, pastor, missionary? And he told them the story, and Clay said, The Lord had given me such a burden just the other day that I called our prayer team. How many people on the prayer team, folks? Sixteen. There were sixteen warriors protecting them around that broken-down Land Rover at the time that God laid on the heart of an intercessor that needed to be praying for those people. Now, folks, I've told that story before, and it makes the hair rise up on the back of my neck as if it's abnormal. As if answered prayer is abnormal. See what's happened, even for you and I, who will come out on a rainy day where there's a pandemic going on, they'll come out to separate and social distance and still recognize the, the essential role of corporate worship. Even those of us who would come here can be lured away from the discipline of prayer and can be lured into all of the junk that's out there from the granola movement. And you know what the granola movement is, right? That's where all the fruit flakes and nuts have gone. In fact, if you will Google prayer, you will find 928 million results. A lot of that's just false teaching. A lot of that's just not true. And even you and I then that find out that we are not, we have not stay focused on the discipline of prayer like we should to because for many of us we say, well, you know, it really doesn't work. I tried really, really hard praying for this thing and nothing happened. I tried really, really hard trying to impose on God what I thought he ought to do and he didn't do it and so I don't think he's a very good God and I just don't pray to him anymore. 
And so here we are, having studied, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, abiding in Christ, and now the discipline of prayer. Now, Scripture reminds us, as you know, you've already heard here, that all discipline for the moment is not joyful but sorrowful, but he who is trained by it will yield the peaceful fruits of righteousness. That's Hebrews 12, 11. Jot that one down. That's a pretty good one for us to remember. Hebrews 12, 11. For all discipline for the moment is not joyful. It is sorrowful, but he who is trained by it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And then we go to James 5.16 and we see what kind of people are effective prayers. The fervent effective prayer of righteous men and women avail much. So here we see this correlation that here we are, that uh, discipline may not be sorrowful, but it does bring discipline. And that, that discipline for us does bring us the effectiveness of our prayer life. So we're going to go to John 17, John chapter 17. You'll see verses 6 through 11 as we're going to be running through this morning as we find just what are some of the things that can make effective prayer normal and no longer abnormal for, for the majority of us, for many of us that are trying to walk with Christ. You'll see in John 17, when you get to uh, John 17, 4 and 5, that is where he prays for personal needs. So that's okay to pray for personal needs. Uh, you'll see in 6 and 11 where we're going where he prays for believers. And you also see in uh, John 17, 20 where he prays for unbelievers. So we see in John 17 is Jesus when he actually prays. We've got the Lord's Prayer, which is good, which many of us know. But if you want to see Jesus praying, then you go to John 17. And when you go to John 17, you see Jesus praying for personal needs, for believers, and for unbelievers. So that ought to be part of our prayer life. That ought to be part of what we do. Spend some time praying for believers. Spend some time praying for unbelievers. Spend some time praying for personal needs. Now, out of those three, now, I've taught, when I've served with the North American Mission Board and with the Home Mission Board, I've taught all around the country, and I've had people come up to me and tell me, oh, you can't pray for personal needs, that's selfish. Oh, you can't pray for other believers because you're imposing them on them. No, you can't pray for uh, uh, unbelievers because you'll embarrass them. You know, you get those three people together, and you're not praying for anybody. See, and that's what the enemy does. He constantly tries to, to separate you, to isolate you, so that you think that I have no role in prayer, that I, that I am not functional, that I am not effective, therefore I do not have a role in prayer. We're, we're going we're gonna to fix that. If you'll listen today and study through the Word of God and, and, and what the Lord says in His Word, you'll be able to come away today so encouraged with what God does through us, imperfect as we are, when we are people who are focusing on a discipline of prayer. So how do we do that? We see in John, if we begin in John 6, we'll see that Jesus had a disciplined focus. And that's, that's where we begin. And our effectiveness for prayer, just as Jesus modeled for us, then we, we look at a focus of prayer. So you'll see in your notes, for those of you that are ADD like I am, and you've got to make sure you fill it out, all right, you've got it up there. Jesus' disciplined focus. One of the things that we run into, you and I run into when we're trying to pray, is our prayer becomes so scattered, so broad, so birdshot instead of slug, that we are, that we have, that we, that the enemy allows to confuse us and water down 
the focus of what we're praying for. So Jesus was quite clear in John 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name. So here is Jesus talking. Okay, this is Jesus actually praying. He's talking to his daddy. He can say, Abba, Father. This is his daddy. Uh, for us, also the Lord. I have manifested your name. And as you know, I like the amplified translation of the Greek New Testament. I have revealed your very self, your real self, to the people whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed and kept your word. Pretty clear teaching for us, dear ones. When Jesus is acknowledging that here, Daddy, <laughs> that, that, that what the Lord had given him and the called out ones, that's why church is called ecclesia. You see the word up there. Say that with me. Ecclesia. Klesia, kaleo, means to call. Ek is out of. Uh, in fact, in the baptism text, we see ice, or he took him in the water, and ek, he took him out of the water. So, ecclesia. Uh, that's what we are. We are the ecclesia. We are the ones who are called out of that mess so that we can come together to this mess because we are not perfect. And those of us who try to impose some sort of perfection this side of heaven on the, on the congregation is disappointed. But thank you that in spite of a pandemic, you recognize that worship is important. You recognize that corporate worship is important. That there's something special about this marvelous praise team that God has given us that takes us to worship. There's no entertainment being driven here. These are dear folks who have chosen to lead us to the Father, to take our spirits pointed towards heaven, to focus us on things above as opposed to things below. So this focus of Jesus are the ones who has called them out of the world. These are the ones. This is, and this is a choice that you and I have to make. Every individual, doesn't matter what your missionary says, doesn't matter what your pastor says, what your, what your uh, class leader says, doesn't matter what your elders say, you have to choose that I recognize that out there is a worldview, out there is a behavior, out there is language, out there is action, out there is behavior that does not bring glory to God. That all of that that's happening out there is inconsistent with the teaching of God's Word. And that's the authority. It's the teaching of God's Word, as we've seen. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible, abiding in Christ. Okay, All of those lead to our effectiveness in the discipline of prayer. But we have to choose out there or in here. To, to, to be not in here in the terms of this, this facility but in here, in terms of the Holy Spirit of God moving inside of your heart and changing you from the inside out. Now, as I shared with you before, you know, the culture, we've got 1,800 different religions in North America now. And, and much of the culture wants us to believe it's like a big wagon wheel. Heaven's in the middle of a big wagon wheel. And Buddhism is a spoke that'll get you there. And Hinduism is a spoke. And that's not what the Bible says. That's not biblical truth. Uh, in fact, Jesus didn't say that I'm some of the way part of the truth and a little bit of the life, did he? John 14, 6, he says, I am what? I am the way. Say it with me. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. That's not intolerant when it's true. 
And truth, by the definition of the word, excludes error. So here, we choose. We choose that here is a culture, here is a behavior, here is an attitude, here is a worldview of how we consider all things that does not bring glory to God. And we pursue that, we follow that, we see it. And then the Bible reminds us there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. So we choose to be called out of there by the Holy Spirit of God. See, because these religions, remember, they, they want you to be good. And they want you to believe that if I'm gooder and gooder and gooder, and I can say that, I've got a PhD, that if I'm gooder and gooder and gooder, that one day I'll be good enough that I can go to heaven. That's not the way it happens. The only way to go to heaven is to be holy. And the only way to be holy is to invite the Holy Spirit of God to come move inside of us. And he changes us. He transforms us. He calls us out of that old way and changes us into the new way from the inside out. See, so that transformation, that ecclesia, those who have been called out of the world, uh, you know, you can even, you see in the uh, in materials leading up to the election, you see even the New York Times came out and said, we don't get religion. We don't understand it. We don't understand these people. So for them, being called out is being called out of our minds, literally. They, they do not understand the, that those out there that we are called out of do not understand why we have chosen to be called out of that and into the authority and the teachings of the Creator God through the Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to recognize it. You need to see it. You need to accept it. You need to uh, acknowledge that being called out of there now just about as much as it was in the first century means that we are so distinctive from the common culture that we are under pressure to conform to unbiblical beliefs and unbiblical teaching. So be careful. Another reason for our focused prayer is because of that relationship with Jesus that, that drives us into that, that walk with him. See what he said here. That obey your word, that have kept your word. Wow. Be careful with all of the false teaching that's out there in the granola movement. All the fruit flakes and nuts have gone. There's a tremendous amount of false teaching. And if you allow any authority to influence your theology other than the word of God, then you will struggle with what is biblical truth and what isn't. So that's why as part of our discipline, as part of our reading the Bible and studying the Bible, as we've already been studying, that essential role of the Word of God in influencing how I respond to what the culture says. When you start reading in the culture about some of this odd stuff in prayer, do the same thing Jesus did in Matthew 4 when Satan came to tempt him. Satan said something, and Jesus compared it to the Word of God. And he always chose the Word of God. You have to learn that discipline yourselves that whatever you hear in the culture, whatever junk you see on TV about what prayer is, people living in absolute horrendous, uh, absolute disobedience to God, absolute horrendous trash coming out of their mouths, and then within the same paragraph come out and say, oh yes, and I'm praying for God to do something. You know, as if, as if we can impose on God what we think we ought to do with no requirement, no responsibility 
of being kept, of obeying his word. Now, dear ones, as you know, and as we've already studied in our other disciplines, the primary way that God speaks to us is the word of God. It's not through your missionary. It's not through pastors and leaders. He does speak through those things. He'll speak through dreams, but that is not the primary way that he speaks. Dealing with an issue now or somebody where, where uh, we've got one of our congregations we're helping to work with now. They've got five different guys that have come up to them in their pastor search process and said, God's told me I'm going to be your pastor. Well, somebody's made a mistake. <laughs> and it wasn't God. <laughs> At least four of those guys have, heard, have not heard the right thing. So who do, do they have? Would they have Mexican food the night before? Now who's talking to What is it? Be careful. Be careful. We can, we can impose on God our will easily. It's easy to try to impose our will on God. The primary way he speaks to us is the word of God. When you're struggling for an answer, study the word of God. When you're struggling for direction, study the word of God. Now, be careful. We're not talking about you flipping through and saying, okay, what am I going to do, God? All right, then he went out and hung himself. Therefore, you go and do likewise. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, no. We don't. We don't proof text it as we go through there. All right. So we're we're disciplined focus. It's a focus then of getting out of the world. It's a focus then on obeying the word of God. It's a focus then on being sure that we have kept His word. We even had a president who said that it was the. The, uh, the, the religious thing to do for him to sign a bill for abortion worldwide. To kill babies worldwide, he said, was the right thing to do. It was the, the, the godly thing to do. Careful. Careful. We don't impose on God our will. We don't have the freedom or the right to impose on the word of God other than the truth of the creator God through his son Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, our research says that believers, evangelicals, those of us who believe the Bible, pray about five minutes a day. Well, that ought to terrify us. Because that means that 23 hours and 55 minutes a day we're relying on ourselves. No wonder the culture's in the mess it's in. No wonder our families, our lives are in the messes they're in. If we spend 23 hours and 55 minutes a day relying on ourselves. And even for those of you that have an hour-long prayer time, wonderful, wonderful. That's why the Bible tells us to pray unceasingly. To live such a lifestyle that all the way through the day, we're able to live such a, a, a quiet and peaceable life, such a, such a righteous life that we constantly are in communication with the Father. Because that's what protects us. That would allow us the focus of disciplined prayer comes from us being able to to see him, hear him, and allow him that we can agree with. If you want a yes answer to prayer, agree with God. You'll get a yes answer every time <laughs> if you agree with God. So that's the challenge. Everything that comes from him is in the word. Be careful of false teaching. We also see Jesus being focused uh, by the time we uh, uh, go on to verse 7. You know, it's where that everything that comes out from you, now that they have, you know and understand, all you have given me belongs to you, is really and truly yours. Boy, that's a tough lesson for our focus, isn't it? It's already his, and we are stewards. We are borrowers. 
we get, uh, I think just a couple of weeks ago, the oldest lady in the U.S., 115, I think, or 116, the, there's some, uh, the medical records aren't sure whether she's 115, 116. All right, so 115, 116 years, we get to borrow this clay thing because remember when God made it, he took it, he, he formed this little clay thing and it laid there, picked it up, gave it the first artificial respiration and man became a living soul. And this clay thing then, it gets too big and things fall out of it and it hurts and it smells and it's just, you know, th this thing. We start struggling with this thing versus the part that lives forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Everybody say it. And ever. <laughs> That's how long it is. That's the part we need to be worried about. That's the part we need to be focused on. Everything that comes from him. Is again, that is, the, that is our our focus for our prayer, to be sure that everything that comes from him and our focus is on him. Now, uh, verse 9, verse 9 continues on. Then he begins to tell us, his, okay, so we've got a disciplined focus, that here he is, we know he's focused. These are people who are asking to call out from the world. He's helping them see the difference in what's out there. He's giving them biblical truth so that they'll follow that biblical truth. But then what is it that he actually does? Because of this focus, what is it that Jesus actually does? Verse 9, he prays for them. So Jesus' disciplined activity comes in verse 9. Look at there. That's what he says. He says, I pray for them. So again, here is the example of Jesus helping you and I very specifically, very clearly. If Jesus was the one who chose to pray, I am praying for them, verse 9. I am not praying requesting for the world. Okay. So be careful of praying for things instead of for people. But for those you have given me, for they belong to you. Okay, so based on this, what, what does the culture think is the source of our prayer? Some activity, some event, some disaster, some problem focus, that, that I turn my focus to that prayer or, or to that issue, and that issue says you better pray. Okay, I see this issue, and so I start praying. And my eyes stay on that issue because I'm praying for that issue. That's not what the Bible says at all. The, fo the, the source of our prayer the activity of our prayer flows from that relationship to the Creator God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's why living the righteous life is so important, because unrighteous prayer is useless. Unrighteous prayer has no efficacy. Unrighteous prayer is not effective. It doesn't do anything, because it's, it's, being, it's coming, it's flowing from some event, some need, some desire, instead of from my relationship to Jesus. That's why our righteousness is such that we live a lifestyle to where sin, and sin is any time we disobey God. Any time we disobey God. When we don't do what God tells us to do, and we do things that God tells us not to do. Okay, those are sin. And that sin separates us from God, and that separation from God then is what causes us to be ineffective. In our walk with Christ, in our study even, in our, in our abiding in Christ, and of course, absolutely, in our prayer. So he prays for them. The word he uses here is to make a request. Uh, because it is the intercessory model. It is what an intercessor does. Intercessory prayer is hard praying. Because an intercessor literally stands in between the enemy 
and the source of the enemy's attack. And we accept the attack. We accept the arrow in their place, at least short term. That's why it's essential that we are the intercessors for our pastor, for our music leader, for our deacons, for our elders, for our family. Because Satan exists to disobey God and to cause us to do so, and he's good at it. And he works to discourage and undermine, and he's good at it. And so we choose to become the intercessor, whereas uh, Clay Brent was for the Higgins, where his 16-member prayer team literally stood around the car to protect them from those Mau Mau tribesmen killing him. We have that same battle daily, spiritually, in Mobile, Alabama. That's why it's essential to be praying for our workers around the planet, our, our missionaries serving around the planet, who went to church this morning knowing that they could be killed for no other reason than followers of Jesus. Studied in one of our mission trips. We were in a... Uh, church under a bridge we actually got under that bridge system about a mile and a half away and walked under the bridge system to come to a small area where the believers were together there was a guard out there the guard's purpose wasn't to hurt anyone it was his purpose to die first to give us time to escape and still they came and still they came they were there just because as your spirit has told you by being here today, by wanting corporate worship today, corporate worship's important. Corporate worship's important. It's important enough that they will risk their lives in order to come and be part of corporate worship because it is that important. So he prays to them. He makes a request for them. He is an intercessor for them. In John 4.31, the word that they used, the, the disciples, it's the same word they used when Jesus said, y'all come eat. Y'all come get it. Same word. Y'all come get it. Beseeching. Y'all come get it. Coming before the creator God. Not imposing on him our will, but asking God his will so that we can be obedient to it and participate in it. That huge difference in being an observer of worship and a participant of worship. Again, thank you. You chose to go. Every one of us here today, the enemy told you why you didn't need to be here today. You called him a liar and you came on anyway. Every one of us, he tried to pull that on. And folks, he seeks to discourage and undermine, and he's good at it. So for each one of us to pray, to beseech, it's that, uh, another use of it is, is prosuke, and it is the most common word, as you see on the list, that prayer should bring us face-to-face -face and into close contact with God. Okay, so different than our intercession, different than our intercession, prosuke, that prayer is more than a mechanical act or a formula to follow. Some people think I can't pray because I don't know the formula. They, they won't pray in public because they don't know the right steps. They're supposed to, no, there's not a step. There's not a formula. That's why we're going to John 17 instead of to the Lord's Prayer. There's not a formula that we have to go to when we come before God. That it's a vehicle that brings us to a place whereby we may enjoy a close, intimate relationship with the creator God of the universe 
through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That God. Not the ontological other, not she who is in all and above all, but that God who created everything, who loves us so much, as we sang about so marvelously, that he died for us, that what he died for on that cross for us. 1 Timothy 2.2 that I shared with you here from this pulpit not too long ago reminds us to pray for leaders and those who are in authority because we do live in a culture that is as close to the first century as we have had since the first century and our religious liberty is under assault. There are those the enemy detests religious liberty and he will do whatever he can, whatever systems he can out there to prevent us from having the freedom to proclaim clearly. You don't believe that's possible here? Travel the places we have done our mission teams where we cannot carry our Bible openly, where we cannot go in there as a missionary, where we cannot go in because religious liberty is dead. And people still choose to share the truth. Okay, Don't take it for granted here in North America and, and, and where we live now and where we work now. Again, he said that that, was, that that First Timothy 2 is where he talked about the quiet and peaceable life. All right, so our discipline of prayer follows through with our discipline of having studied the Word, of having seen our abiding in Christ. That discipline of prayer reminds us that we've got to have this focus. This focus is that I am called out of what that junk is, so I'm not going to be lured back into that lifestyle. Uh, a young man that we led to the Lord in church we were in before uh, after he came to meet Jesus, he, he told me, he says, I feel like I've got bungee cords attached to me trying to pull me back into my old lifestyle. Uh, so we're, we're lured back into that old lifestyle. No, no, don't let it stay focused on this, this relationship with the Creator God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then allow that quiet and peaceable life, that peace that passes understanding, that peace that comes from being reunited with the Creator God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen that Jesus has a, has a focus. He has an activity. He also has a content. He has a specific content in verses 10 and 11. When Jesus prays, and now we've seen that he's focused and pulled out of the world, that here is, is what he's done by praying, by intercession. It's that kind of praying. It's that kind of prosuke where he's talking with God, where it's just an intimate relationship of talking to daddy, that this is the, the, the activity that he's done. But then what does he actually pray? What is the content? We see that in verses 10 and 11. Some clear things that he prayed. All mine are yours and all that are yours belong to me. Remember, stewards, nothing do we have that we're able to cling, nothing in our hands we cling humbly to the, uh, nothing in our hands we bring humbly to the cross we cling. Be careful because it's so easy to cram our hearts full of stuff that interferes and competes with our allegiance to Jesus. So be careful. Be careful. When I was appointed to the uh, International Mission Board, Dr. Baker James Cawthon told us, you can take anything to the foreign field that you want to take, but take it in your hands and not your heart. Be careful, mobiles. Be careful, Westmobilians, that we can take anything in the mission field of mobile, but take it in your hands and not your heart. What belongs in your heart is the Creator God, through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. All mine are yours, and all yours belong to me, and I am glorified through them, and they have done me honor. In them, my glory is achieved. 
whose glory? His glory. A lot of folks in the granola movement try to usurp that authority, that glory. They'll even try to usurp that glory and give it to the Holy Spirit. And they talk mainly about the Holy Spirit instead of talking. The Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus, always. There's no event, no activity that is separate that we see in the Word of God, that we see truthfully in the Word of God, that separates the Trinity and the sake that they individually receive glory. All glory goes to the Creator, and that that Creator, be careful. It becomes easy. In fact, when you flip on the TV, a lot of us have done a lot of uh, watching through this pandemic. We've a lot of watch, uh, watched uh, uh, sermons and, and series and things on TV. How long does it take you on the, uh, on the tube to tell if this guy is preaching out of his arrogance or if he's trying to help you in the Word of God? It takes no time at all, folks, to be able to tell that the content has been compromised to usurp the authority that belongs to God. Now, that lesson that we can apply to that television preacher applies to you and me. Our family can tell if we are focused on Jesus or whether we're pretending like that. Our Sunday school class can tell if we are focused, if we are disciplined in our walk with Christ, in our abiding with Christ, or whether we're pretending, and it's only something we do on Sundays, they can tell like that. So that kind of brings us back to the focus of what our prayer ought to be. Brings us back to the activity of what our prayer, and now to the content of our prayer. Everything we pray is like a check that we are delivering that Jesus has to sign in order for it to be valid. See, I know we don't do checks much anymore. But, uh, but to write a check, to pay a debt that requires a signature on that debt, when we pray that, that, that payment that's being made, that offering that's being made, that prayer that's being made has to be signed off by Jesus. And if he won't sign off on it, it's no good. It's no good. Be careful what we pray. Be careful that what we say and what we impose on God is something that absolutely Jesus signs off on. Because then it goes straight to the Holy of Holies and the throne room of the Creator God of the universe. And there we start seeing it. Now sometimes he says no to that prayer. We hate that. I mentioned last time, all of those folks who were standing at the, at the cross, all of those followers of Jesus, united in prayer, agreed in prayer, more than two or more, and they agreed. God, stop this. He's innocent. Don't let him kill him. Don't let him crucify him. Get him down. Stop it. It was a selfless prayer. And God said no. Why? Because God knows better than we do. Write that down somewhere in your heart. 
God knows better than we do. And yet we keep trying to impose on God our will. And the reason you've got friends who are disappointed with God is because they said, gee, God, you're not a very good God. I told you you ought to do this. You hadn't done it. You don't, why don't you come down here and fix this? Stop it, God. Start telling God how to be God. We are not authorized to do that. <laughs> that is way above our creation grade. But we do it daily. Trying to impose on God what we think he ought to be doing. When he is the one who's imposing on us what we ought to be doing. To bring him glory. When he tells you no, thank God. Think back on some of those high school prayers. You'd be married to that person now. You'd still be trying to fix that car. I mean, just think of those high school prayers and be thankful God said no. When he tells you no, it's a good thing. Because you can trust him. You can trust him. The enemy wants you. Satan thinks that we're so dumb we're going to fall for the same thing we've been doing since Gen he's been doing since Genesis 3. <laughs> Oops, we're still falling for the same thing we've been doing since Genesis 3. He wants you not to trust God. He wants you to believe that God is not trustworthy. The glory of God that comes to them. It applies to our personal needs and to our unbelieving prayers. That the glory of God comes to them. That he will protect them by the power of your name. Wow. Yes, that protection is there. It is available. It is accessible. We have intercessors who are willing to step in between the enemy and us. Make sure you're one of them. Make sure you're one of those intercessors willing to step in between the enemy and our, our pastor and our leaders and our, our missionaries around the planet. So that we may be one. That whole verse 11. To protect them by the power of your name. Because when we pray in Jesus' name. We are praying what he will authorize. So don't forget that. We're praying what he will authorize. Not what we can talk him into trying to do it. No. no. Okay. We're not, we're not going to bully God into agreeing with me. If you want to put out a fire. You take each stick separately. And you place it away from the fire. Each stick individual burn out. Good fire. Strong fire. Good stick. But you pull it away from the fire and it'll go out. That's what the enemy tries to do to you and I. Tries to separate us, to isolate us. He wants to permanently place us in the drum box. So that no one else can come near. That we can't be touched. That we may be one. Be careful. The enemy can use those of us who will come out on a rainy Sunday morning in the middle of a pandemic to try to impose our will on a congregation. Again, as your missionary, I do a lot of consultation in congregations. And the enemy has placed somebody in churches to try to bring disunity. Folks, it's not your will. It's his will. And if all you think is your purpose in life is to bring disunity, stop it. <laughs> that is not your purpose in life, is to bring disunity. There is a biblical source of unity, and if you haven't found it, you need to do some internal walk with the Father, some internal focus and discipline, and finding how do I come to unity? How 
how do I come to biblical truth in unity? COVID has taught us a lot of uh, lessons about isolation. I mean, even the introverts are, are wanting to come out in public. Uh, you know, Amy gave me that shirt, introverts of the world unite. I'm here, I'm uncomfortable, and I want to go home, you know. But, so you know it's pretty bad, but even the introverts are ready to come to church. You know, we're ready to get out and meet some other people that are out there. The enemy's constantly trying to seek to divide us. He's constantly trying to keep us away from the Father. That's why he keeps trying to tell us you can't trust the Father because he wants to keep us from turning from that world, being called out of that world, and being called to him. We come to invitation time. Of course, the invitation is not the end of the service. It's the focal point of the service because it is that focal point of the service where whatever the Holy Spirit said to you during our worship time and the music, whatever the Holy Spirit said to you during our prayer time, whatever the Holy Spirit has said to you in just these brief verses, now is the point to where you say, yes, Lord. Practice that with me. Yes, Lord. Again, yes, Lord. Not, not no, Lord, not wait, Lord, not you don't understand, Lord, but try it again. Yes, Lord. Whatever he said to you in our time of invitation, it may be that at any point during this invitation, of course, our initial invitation is that you are called out, that you know Jesus. If you, if you today have understand in that Holy Spirit of God, again, it's not what a missionary can say, it's not what a, a pastor can say, it's not what an elder or even your mom or your grandmama can say. When the Holy Spirit of God has said to you, I am ready to repent, I am ready to turn, I am ready to be called out of that mess. That's the point in which you turn and say, Almighty Creator God, I ask your Holy Spirit to come inside to change me from the inside out. I repent of my sin, of my disobeying you, of my not trusting you. I repent of that. And I turn wholly and completely to you. That's a believer's prayer. And that's the first prayer from you that he'll hear. Because he hears the prayer of the believers. Come to Jesus. If you've never done that before. Let him use you in this time of, of quarantine, this time of isolation. Bring somebody else to Jesus. Of course, the next is to choose to be like, like Christ in prayer. No matter what commitment you make today, when you get up tomorrow morning, everything that's screaming for your attention is not going to be to pray. Focus your prayer. Be involved in the activity of prayer. Stay biblical in your content of your prayer. Don't let the enemy rob you, separate you, isolate you from that relationship with Jesus that allows us to maintain the discipline of prayer in our lives. Commit to pray for believers, for unbelievers, and for personal needs. Again, we usually got that personal needs thing down, down pat. <laughs> now, pray for personal needs that bring glory to God. Pray for believers, pray for unbelievers. Be an intercessor in what we do. Commit yourself so that the Holy Spirit can speak clearly to you. I may have spoken to some that, that Westmobile needs to be your spiritual home. That's an invitation. You are invited to be part of Westmobile Church. You're invited to be part of this family, warts and all, imperfect and all. But it still is a family. And it's a family that will welcome you and love you and be with you. Let's pray. Almighty, creator, holy, holy, holy. of all that you have done for us, of all that you do in bringing us to you. We ask King Jesus 
that there would be nothing in our heart that competes with our relationship to you. We ask, Father, to recommit us to the discipline of prayer, to the focus that you bring, to the activity that you've taught us, to the content that you've shown us clearly in your word. King Jesus, please speak to us in Jesus' name.